This is a wee bit of everything. The podcast that explores all things sport and teaching. Hello there and welcome to the A Wee Bit of Everything podcast with your hosts Lewis and Clark. Thanks for coming back to tune in to this week's episode. We really are amazed by all the support we have received from everyone so far. Our partner of the podcast is Premiership Experience who have played a big role in helping us develop. Premiership Experience offer fantastic sports tours within the UK and abroad so be sure to check them out on Twitter at Prem Experience. This is a professional learning platform where we get ideas and insights from like-minded professionals. Our vision is to inspire, to teach and to entertain. So let's get started with this week's episode of A Wee Bit of Everything. Hello and welcome back to the Wee Bit of Everything podcast with your hosts Lewis and Clark. This week we are joined by XPE teacher and basketball coach Alan Turner. Alan graduated as a PE teacher and taught in Dalmellington High School Presswick Academy and James Haddleman Hamilton Academy in Kilmarnock until retirement in 2012. That was a mouthful there. Alan was, <laughs> was also the head coach of Cumnock basketball team from 1974 all the way to 1993, the year I was born actually. Oh, and was also, aye, all those years ago, Lewis. There we and go. There we go. And it was it was also a founding member of this club and he took a lot to do with the management of it and developed it later down the line. So looking forward to getting Alan on to talk a, a bit about basketball, uh, how to teach it better in schools and also a bit about his teaching career as uh, a PE teacher over the years and how it's changed over time and kind of the stuff that he, he learned and enjoyed over his career. Right, Alan, welcome to a wee bit of Everton podcast. Thanks very much for coming on. How's, how's your day been? My day's been pretty good so far. Uh, I've just been kind of coasting along and then I have to go and get a double injection, so I'm kind of ready to go. We're ready to go as well. We've had a few weeks off uh, the podcast due to various reasons, so um, I suppose that's good getting the, both Jags at the same time. Saves you going back and forward. Well, please. yeah, uh, and I got one in each arm, so we're spreading them about, keep it, keeping keeping life nice and, nice and balanced. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds good. Um, right, so before we get into the main part of the podcast, we're going to be talking about basketball, PE teaching, um, yeah. kind of going over going over your experiences throughout your teaching and coaching career. Um, could you give us and the listeners a little background information like, on your career to date? We, we did touch briefly on the briefly on it in the introduction from what you sent over but if you could give us another kind of rundown on it that'd be yes, great can do will do well uh, I qualified as a teacher in 1973 and I taught in two extra schools um, before being appointed to a principal teacher in James Hamilton Academy Kilmarnock and that was in 1980 I was yeah. actually quite young uh, appointed as a principal teacher I always wanted to be uh, a head of department I didn't have aspirations to be deputy head or head teacher. I just wanted to be in charge of my own domain. Yep. So that's basically what kept me in, in that in that area. So what age um, were you then when you got that job? Sorry? You don't mind age. me asking what, like, what age uh, were you then when you uh, got that job? I would be 29. 29, right. Yeah. Yep. Uh, and I actually, it was the second job I'd applied for as well, and I really wasn't expecting it. And the school I taught in before, I loved it to bits. I had a great mentor that taught me, and I had to go and leave him. So it was, it was, it was, it was bittersweet. I had to yeah, leave. Yeah, yeah. I loved teaching in, and go and start my own version of the same. Right. Okay. Uh, and you have to build, build I, I, it over the years. 
yeah, I, I had good, a good experience there. So it, it, it taught me, it taught me how to move forward and be and be a good, effective leader. So that was really good. Um, I did lots of school basketball um, right up to 1973. Um, then I went, I went to college in 1970, and that's where I played the majority of my senior basketball, and that's where I learned a lot of the stuff from the lecturers at college. It was Jordan Hill. It was quite a big basketball uh, college at the time. So I've got a, a lot of good experience there. Um, when I came back to Cumnock, though, guys, there was no basketball in Cumnock other than school basketball. Right. Which had been taught by a PE teacher, an, an old PE teacher called Bill Bailey, who taught a lot of young guys basketball who actually went on to become PE teachers themselves and keep basketball going throughout Ayrshire. It really is. It's a bit, he was a bit of a legend in his day, so he was the person who kind of introduced us uh, uh, to basketball at that time. Uh, but when I came back, we wanted a club. So myself and two other uh, former pupils started up Cumnock Basketball, Cumnock Basketball Club in 1974. Um, I tried. Listen, I tried a game of rugby, guys. I like watching rugby, mm-hmm. and I played four games for Cumnock Rugby Club, and uh, I played in the second row. And I had one game at wing forward, and it was just a tragedy. <laughs> just, it's a huge pitch and a lot of workload, and there's just contact hitting you from every direction. <laughs> aye, aye. So, so I see, went down the basketball route. Yeah, so that I ended up, I ended up down a basketball route. Um, uh, and before that, really, I was a swimmer. Uh, I was a swimmer before I was a basketballer, and I used to swim and uh, train at the open air pool in Cumnock which oh, was originally built in 1936. And uh, that's where I did most of my swimming. Um, and to be fair, I reckon that's where I still got this notion of I wanted to teach young people. Mm-hmm. I was teaching young people to swim as beginners when I was 16. And see that, see that success motivation of seeing a young person who can't swim, who suddenly, after two or three lessons, gets the self-confidence to be a swimmer. Yep, that's a good feeling. That, that really gave me a wee buzz, and I think that that's one of the things that started me off down a teaching route. Uh, no, I think I think that's the thing about our job. You, like, you do get a buzz lesson to lesson, like working with yeah. different groups. And I think swimming's a good one as well because you can actually clearly see the progress from I can swim and then no, I can swim. Lewis, mm. that, that you've, you've you've nailed it in the head. It's just one of these things, and young people are so delighted with themselves yeah. when when their feet go off the bottom and they go. As, as I say. I reckon that was one of my, my earliest experiences that said, I really want to be a teacher. Was that a massive, see, when, when you were teaching, like maybe in your, like at the start of your teaching career, was swimming something that was on like the bulk of schools' curriculums or well, it, it's did actually, that change see, a lot? Yeah, that's a, that's, a really, that's a really interesting and very pointed question, to be fair, Lewis. Um, not, not really, and, and I'll try and tell you why. It's, it's, I was a swimmer first, but I never, ever taught any kid to swim in a school. Mm-hmm because every school I went to had no pool. Now, I think seeing Glasgow and in Edinburgh, I might be wrong here, but I think there are more schools with pools in the bigger cities than there is out in the provinces with us. Yeah. So there's not a lot of schools out here with pools. We had two, three maybe, three, we had three in Ayrshire mm-hmm. that pools. So if you weren't in one of these three schools out of 21, you were, you weren't teaching swimming. Yeah. Uh, so it was something that I had, a, I had a, a, an expertise in to begin with, and I started with, but it was something that I kind of left behind as a as a profession because I, I wasn't I, I was never teaching in a school with a pool. 
Mm-hmm. Ah, it's like so, Clark was yeah. saying. It's like it's it's a it's a life skill, isn't it, to be able to? Oh, it's a life skill. Yes, it should be. I think um, it's, it's one, an important thing. Yeah, yeah, the but other think... thing, yeah. The other thing for me was when I was at college. Um, I used to think I was a really good swimmer because I was extra school. I was an extra school champion at eighteen and stuff, right? And when you when you're out in provinces like we are, you actually think you're quite good until somebody parachutes you right in the middle of Jordan Hill College, where there's all these full-time Scottish swimmers. And I took the water polo. I wanted to play water polo. Uh, there was an old water polo thing in Cumberland years ago at the outdoor pool, and I remember going watching them, and I wanted to play water polo. So I played water polo at college, and there's a tough game, guys. Uh, that work. is one tough game. Uh, somebody, somebody described it once as, it's like playing rugby with a hundred weight of cement in your back. <laughs> <laughs> what was it? My dad, my dad said he used to um, go to school with a guy, or he knew a guy that played water polo, and he said he could tread water with his hands above his head, right yeah. up to his waist. Yes, yeah. Yep. I wasn't sure See, whether they believe him or not, but it's impressive. Well, I, I, I think it's true, <laughs> because somebody told me once that some big, it was a European, and one of the things they did to start the game, you know in basketball they do all these slam dunks in the warm-up? Mm-hmm. To, intimidate, to intimidate the opposition. Well, this water polo team, it would be Croatia or it was in that sort of area. They arrived at the event, right? And they would jump in. The first guy would jump in the water and he would kick, he would kick till, his, till his trunks were out of the water. So he's up at his thighs now. And he would go across the pool and go to the other side. Oof. And everybody in the team did that. That is incredible. <laughs> so just, if you're looking at that, must have some strength. we've had it today. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, so it's, it was an amazing game. But it's, I think it's a game for the participant. Aye. It's not really a game for the spectator. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Alan, I have to ask you, see, now like PE teachers, like the role usually was to develop the students' like swimming ability. Like, yes. I know obviously that isn't the case now because of lack of pools. Would you see that as the role of a PE teacher though, or, or, or do you think that's kind of the role of a coach outside school? Um, I, I, I think if, if, a, if a school has a facility yeah. with a pool, then that particular department, I think, have to promote that as a life skill and as something that that that, that is done right through. Yeah. yeah. Right. So the, the, the uh, I think if you're arriving at a pool with no, with no, without a pool, then it's really down to a community thing. It's down to a club. Yeah. I mean, we we used to have 250 members at come at come at swimming pool, and we taught swimming at at at, at, at what was it? It was like four pounds. It cost four pounds to be taught swimming for three months. Every Monday, every Thursday, and so a lot, a lot of the kids in, in our area were taught by local food enthusiasts as part of the swimming club. Mm-hmm. Brilliant. Yeah, brilliant. Now you're like thirty quid a lesson. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Nowadays, it's, yeah, it, it was a community service we did. We got the pool for nothing. The, the local council didn't didn't charge us, so we felt this was our way of, of giving back to the community and making sure that all the Cumnock kids and you come and all the other surrounding areas could come in and they would be taught to swim very cheaply. I thought. Mm. Yeah, I've, I've always been meaning to go up to the pool up at Newcombe. Like I've seen there's a new pool built up there. Like a big oh, listen, Olympics. I, I, I go amazing. there three times a week. It, it, it's a beautiful place. I'm so glad that somebody was able to 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 invest in that. Yeah. Um, the water is fantastic. Something different, guys, about swimming in an open-air pool as opposed to swimming in an indoor pool. You get more oxygen, you get more energy, and I think you get a better kit when you come out to swimming as well. Aye, get a good buzz off it. So is it is it heated? Oh yeah, thirty plus. Thirty plus. And that, listen, it's it's open. It's closed just now for repair because there's a, there's a leak in it, right? But it normally opens right into November. Does it? And you, you go up there in the freezing cold, but I'll tell you this: 
it's a it's a it's a three step walk from a heated changing room to a thirty degree pool. Yeah, and back out again for the shower. Uh, and the thing is, you'll really <laughs> notice the you'll really notice the temperature of the water because the air temperature is so cold. That's correct. Steam's coming off it in the winter when you when you go in. Yeah, we we were going last year right to the end of November, and then we were swimming February February to March. Right. Okay. I need, I need to pay a visit. Yeah. No. I, I would I would recommend it to yourself and anybody else in the locale. Uh, once it opens up, it's what it's a great it's a great place to, to go and visit. We need to get booked in for a few lengths, Clark. Hi, I'm there for you boys can have a competition. Aye. Aye. 50, is it a 50 metre pool? No, it's 20, it's 25 metres. 25. Well, you 25. better bring your armbands in, Lewis. Ah, bring your armbands. Lewis, Lewis is just at the wee jacuzzi bit at the side of the pool. Right. <laughs> yeah. Practice blowing bubbles. Yeah. Right, so is that, well, can I move on then? That's just, yeah. Um, do, you do you want to say a wee bit more about your teaching? Well, I what happened was that because because Cumnock was so successful at the basketball, we won the national trophy and the national league in 1988. And on the back of that, I was never good enough as a player to play for Scotland, but I was invited to coach Scotland senior men after Cumnock won that trophy. And that was a huge step for me. And see, representing your country, whether it's a coach or a player, there is something very special about that. And then for the next nine years, I attended four European events as a coach of Scotland, dealing with the best players that Scotland had at the time. We were really with quite a good reputation. Don't get me wrong, we weren't in the top 10 or 12 in Europe, but we could go to tournaments and, and take games off some of the bigger teams, you know, things, and it was really good. It was a really good experience for us. Oh, it sounds like it. it See, was, uh, just out of curiosity, is there any, like, I know like a lot of Croatian basketball players end up going and playing in the NBA and some like European. Yes. Is there, has there ever been any Scottish players that have ever come? There has actually. Yes, there has. Now, one of, the, one of the guys who was the captain of one of my Scotland team is a guy called Bobby Archibald. Now, he's very well known in, 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 in basketball circles in Scotland, right? And he used to work for Murray International, Metals. Mm -hmm. And they were one of the big teams when we were Americans in the 80s. Uh, half a dozen, 10 teams brought in. We, we brought in Porter Road American between the 80s and the 90s in Scotland. And the game was huge. There was hundreds and hundreds of people watching and there was TV and there was huge big games. And Bobby Archibald played for Murray International. But he also worked for David Murray as well. Mm -hmm. Now, Bobby then got a chance to go to America. Bobby came from Dunfermline originally. He went to America and he took his son, who was a junior internationalist at the time, to America. And, and he became part of the college system in America. And he's mm -hmm. the only Scot to have played in the NBA, Robert Archibald. Wow. Wow. There we go. Yeah. So he's only got to have done it. And he played for three or four teams. He played for the Grizzlies. Uh, and he was one of the top scorers in Illinois student basketball as well. Mm -hmm. So he had, a, he had a great career in basketball. But he eventually came back to play in Europe. Uh, and he played, I think, and he played, did he play? I think he might have, he might have played in the 2012 Olympics in the GB team. Olympics. Yeah. Was he there. from, what about in Scotland was he from, did you say? Yeah. Paisley originally. Paisley, right? Paisley originally. Yeah. Magic. Right, so kind of moving on yeah. to the yeah. teaching, teaching and coaching side of it. Yeah. Um, obviously, the linked, we always have this debate in, PE department, in our PE department about how is it teaching and coaching are they the same or are they different. Obviously, they are, yeah. they're trying to lead people to, to achieve a common goal. Would you say, like coaching basketball then at Cumnock made you a better teacher or, or, or vice versa? And kind, yeah. of why was, kind of why was this the case? Well, I, I think, I think, uh, Coaching certainly helped me be a better player. Uh, uh, I, from a player to becoming a coach, I became a better player in that process. I yep. think probably teaching made me a better coach. I would probably send it down that route. Right. Because I was a teacher, it made me examine my coaching. 
Um, and understanding that all players are just like pupils, that they learn in different ways. So coaches have to encompass different strategies of mm -hmm. how to motivate the players, different players in different ways. And that's why variety is so important mm -hmm. when you're trying to coach. You can't just do the same lesson. Imagine, imagine you're training a team. I did this with Comet when I was with Comet. We were training four times a week. I couldn't do the same training session four, four days in a row. You have to constantly change your session and change the demands of a session. I, I, and especially in terms of decision-making, mm -hmm. not, just, not just physical demands, but run everybody up, hard up and down. Sometimes I think football gets a wee bit sidetracked in that area. It's all about getting fit. Well, I'm not trying to say fitness isn't important, but I've got to say, see, see skills and decision-making, they're big for basketball. Mm -hmm. So, so I used to spend. I, I think that I think that's a, a, a big thing in that area. So in uh, terms of, see in terms of developing decision making, then is that all done sort of through the game, and then you start them coaching, like the kind of game situations, or would you do it through like? You deal. There's a lot of conditioning games. Aye, uh, conditions. There's a lot of conditioning. There's a lot of conditioning game, and and more importantly, conditioning game practices. Yeah. When I was coaching with the Scotland senior men, we had we had quite complicated uh, 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 offensive patterns to run, and I, to be fair, I wasn't that experienced and uh, the higher levels of strategies in basketball. But my assistant was Ian Gordon, who was the coach with Murray. And I learned a lot from Ian, who right. was bringing in all this, this strategy stuff that they'd used in the GB League and playing in Europe and things. So what we used to do is we used to take offensive patterns and have to break them down into small units mm -hmm. so that the players could practice and practice and practice the decision-making parts. And then, then you could bolt it all together. But that yep. was all to do with planning and programming and putting things together. Uh, it worked really well. And I learned from me. I learned that from you. Um, and, and I think the Scotland, Scotland men's team uh, kind of benefited a lot from us doing that condition, practical, put people in decisions. Uh, one of the other things that we do in basketball, and I don't, I don't think football does this as well, but we used to have at the end of a training session, guys, what we used to do was we used to pull, uh, pick two teams and pull, pull a card. And this card would say, you've got three minutes to play. You're up by four. All your players are in team fouls, right? And you can't uh, uh, and you can't play a zone defence. You have to play a man. You then play for, a, for that two-minute spell, and it's all decision making. When to put the ball in? When are you making subs? And see that that preparation. It means when you come to the end of a game and it's the last two minutes, and, and you've got that scenario, you've practiced mm. it already. That's good. Well, so it's just man to man, and that's the only condition there. The last two well, minutes. Well, no. Well, I mean the the. the, the you, and another and another card that would say you can only play zone, oh, right. defense, an area defense. There would be a condition that right. would be demanding. Yeah. That, okay. See, right, so. there would be a demanding decision that, that 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 it would be tough to get out of, and you would have to work as a team and do the right things, and then we would discuss it afterwards as well. We would sit yeah. down after it, and say, "Listen, what happened there? Or oh, we shouldn't have done that. I should have done. I shouldn't have taken the shot, and I should have waited twenty more seconds before I took that shot." All that sort of stuff was put in play and then reviewed. See, right. we, we didn't have that. We, see, basketball, basketball didn't have this. Let's have a whole morning looking at video of the game before. Mm -hmm. You with me? We yeah. didn't. Some basketball teams do, and even now some of them do. So we had to, we had to do this as we moved along in training, and that's yeah. how we did it. I think that's a good sign of a coach. Like they've already kind of put their players through these scenarios before the game. Uh, yes. Like, every event, every kind of scenario. Yeah, I, I, I think some of the I, I don't think football maybe does enough of that. But I, I sometimes watch football with a basketball coach's head on, you mm. know. And I'm thinking, why are they not doing that? You know, a one wee simple thing. And I don't. Why is somebody at a free kick 
going into the box, not setting a screen, and another player mm -hmm. who can run to the back of the box and be free for a header. Aye. There's a very simple thing. Maybe somebody has come up with it, and I haven't noticed it yet. But I know in basketball when you're setting a screen like it's an actual legal thing to like stand there but I don't know in football if that would be classed as like an obstruction okay. or aye that would no, be no they'll start doing it though, more, like, though? Scott, Scott Brown done it against I mean you can play, you could probably mm. play ignorant to it as well couldn't you you, could get away with right. it. you, get, you well, get a lot of the corners will stand say that's that way they double up like the two yeah. attackers you get a yeah. lot of them you get a lot of the defenders that will end up just standing and obstruct sorry the aye. So, so if they two are attacking like yep. Being loose with attacking you're in a team, you could obstruct one of the defenders trying to kind of get round yeah. us. So I've, I've seen it happen more often. I, but I, I know what happened. I know they block. They certainly block goalkeepers' routes and, and corners and things. Yeah, uh -huh. definitely. I, I know what happened with the goalkeepers. So obviously it happens. Mm -hmm. And see when you're talking about obstruction. See when somebody's chasing the ball out and this guy's not letting them get to the ball and he's Aye. like he's there like ten go. yards off the byline. That's an obvious obstruction. Aye. I know. I know. <laughs> I know. I know. As I say, I, I, I don't know whether there may be a rule about it. I don't know. Um, no, I, th I think it's a good point you've made, though. Yeah. Uh, so that's it. Yeah. So another thing, I, another thing I, I, I discovered from see because of my experience either being in a school and working with the Scotland senior men, and also I started a women's team halfway through and amongst that as well. Because coaching young people, coaching old people, coaching men, coaching women, see that, see that progression, see that, that for a continuum for a better word, mm -hmm. that is a, it's a vast different array of coaching that takes place in there. Mm -hmm. You coach women different than you coach men. You coach a 12-year-old different than you coach a 16-year-old. Yep. Right? And you coach a man different than you coach an 18-year-old. And it's really, it's, I found that, it seemed the time when I was coaching them in America, I was coaching first-year kids, second-year kids, third-year kids, senior boys, a girls' team, uh, and a senior men's Scottish team. All in the one week, I could do that. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so same time I could be doing that in a week. In a week's time slot, I could have every one of these age groups. And my, my head was having to go, right, I'm with 13-year-olds today, I cannot do this. I'm with women today, if I start shouting and yelling at women again, I'll have time, then that's not how to get women to play well. Mm. Men, if I'm too soft on the men, they're taller than me, I've got, I've got to be tougher on them. And yeah. So every time I'm doing that, it, it was just different. So Surely that's so a good thing, but isn't it? Like, I bet you that developed your coaching a, a lot. A oh, lot. yeah. Working oh, a whole variety. Uh, yeah. Um, and one other thing, there's a, a, a speed of decision making when you coach, right? And I didn't discover this, that I was actually with the senior men, with my assistant Ian Gordon, who'd been used to playing in British games and European games. Ian was sitting beside me now, and it was a real basketball that both coaches can't stand up at the same time. Right? right. So if, I, if, this, if the coach is standing, the assistant coach has to sit down. Right. And Ian Gordon, Ian Gordon was so used to being a coach that he would constantly stand up, which would mean me as the coach had to stay sitting down, mm. which was a kind of bit of an anomaly. But I was happy to leave Ian with that, with that freedom to do that because that's how he worked. And another thing about Ian was that, uh, uh, was that he could see things happening on the court before I could see them because he was more experienced. I think I had a good relationship with the players he could see things happening before I saw them. So for that year that I was with him, I, I didn't have interference, guys. And I, I let, he, some would say he looked like the coach that day, even though he was the assistant. Mm -hmm. But I was quite happy to learn from that. And what happened then was I then got faster at spotting what he was seeing. And, and all of a sudden, then, then suddenly, six months in, we're both in the same wavelength now. Mm -hmm. And that's when I said to Ian, listen, you're going to do me a favour. 
when he sat down so I could stand up. <laughs> <laughs> you know, he just went, oh, I know. That's great. No problem. I'll give you a place, mate. But I could go a six months then before I could do that. Aye. Aye, so just took, that, took about that's a time. good working relationship. I think, I, I think that's one of the hardest things about teaching, especially like PE or coaching sport, yeah. is the, the ability to observe really well what's going on mm -hmm. and like trying to yep. give out those key bits of feedback to, to make it work yeah. a wee bit better. That's... Mm -hmm. See, I, I think basketball is like ice hockey. It's happening so fast. If you don't spot it, you're 10 points down in a minute and a half. Aye. I think football and rugby don't quite work as fast as that. So if you don't quite pick it up quickly, you'll, you won't get the same effect. Mm -hmm. If you don't pick yeah. it up at all, you'll get the same effect. There's a bigger margin for error in basketball because of the timing yes, of, yes, of scoring. Yes. Football's a bit more forgiving. Yeah. Yeah, see, see, right. yep. see yep. just before we move on then, Alan, see yep. Yep. when you were saying how teaching made you a better coach, you kind of thought yep. you would down that route. Would that just be in terms of your reflections, what you were saying, and how you always you know, reflected on your lessons? Did you take that into your coaching as well? or was it? Um, I've got to tell you, if I'm honest with you, I, <laughs> somebody once said that to me, how much reflection do you do in your coaching? And I, I really, I really tended not to do a lot of reflecting mm -hmm. in my coaching. And I've got to say, I think even in teaching, sometimes there's just an overthinking goes on in there, right? Uh, I, I really believe that, um, that, that uh, sometimes it's time, I, I had a, I've got a quote, I'm going, I'm going to give you a quote later. You asked me for something to learn. I'm going to give you a quote later. Uh, it's to do with when it's time, when it's time to go with the plan and when it's time not to overthink it. Right, okay. Right, so see good experienced teachers, they, get, they have worked that out. Mm -hmm. And if you're watching an experienced teacher who's normally a PT that you've worked with, they will have that. But you don't get it automatic. You have to get it as you learn it. Yeah, I think I think I think it's a big place for reflection. But as you said, it's like you, like you need to move from lesson to lesson. You don't sometimes don't have that time to, to yeah, overthink it. To right. overthink it, you don't want to dwell on it as well. But yeah. I've got the time on my hour and twenty minutes that I drive home for work every night. So <laughs> you've got that stew well, that's funny. <laughs> yeah, well, uh, when I, I had only twenty five minutes going into work in the morning, but in that twenty five minutes, I'd I'd sort out half my day. Aye, <laughs> exactly. Just thinking about what you need to do. Aye, that's what I do in the. Yeah. I always remember the head teacher that worked for uh, in a primary uh, a few years ago. She says her drive to work was like a kind of warm up for the day uh -huh. and kind of go through it, and then drive home was kind of the cool down. Yeah. Like reflecting on it. But just as long as she wasn't doing any stretches in the motor. <laughs> <laughs> Rubbish. <laughs> Can't be doing that. Sorry. Right, um, Alan, moving on then to kind yep, of. Kind of, kind of similar to, to Clark's question, you kind of alluded to some of the things, but what uh, was it kind of like teaching in, in 1973? Is that when you said you, you qualified yes. as a PE teacher? Yes, yeah. Kind of compared to 2012 when you when you no, retired, uh, the differences you kind of seen right. um, throughout? <laughs> I'm, I'm going I'm to try not to disappear down a, a negative route that's, here. Any positives um, as well? I, yes, yes. I, I, was an, I was an experience, so I felt a wee bit like any young person, fish out of water, floundered a bit. And my first year out, I was two days in a, in a, in a, a junior secondary school outside there in Delmellington High School, and I was, the only, I was the only PE teacher there. So I had nobody to, 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 to kind of bounce off, really, right? Uh, I, I, did have a head I did have a principal teacher, but he was off quite a lot. So I ended up kind of running that place myself. And then the other two days, I taught at Presswick Academy. And when I got a chance in year two, I went to Presswick full time. Now I had a 
never had a mentor type person, right? Who was able to give me a lot of good advice about how to improve my teaching as I went along. And that that was an early difference. So you start off, probationers will find this. They'll start off, fish out of water. How do I deal with this discipline? How do I deal with this? I'm not that sure. I messed up there. What should I have done? And if you've got a good principal teacher, they will guide you along. Mm-hmm. Uh, by the time I got later on, by the time I was running my own department, um, I, was, I was much more confident. The, the department ran great. A great we had good discipline. Everybody was, I had a great department. Everybody, everybody was in the same wavelength. We had the same issues. We talked among one another, and that was great. By 2012, the department was still the same, but a lot of the issues had changed, right? Uh, teaching standard grade and higher. I found that a very, very positive move forward for PE. My old PE teachers, principal teachers, would tell you it was a disaster. That standard grade and higher ruined PE forever because poor, poor PE is the be-all and end-all. I'm a believer in that standard grade and higher PE really motivated me, really motivated the kids, right? They worked hard. Yes, they didn't like to study. The boys in particular. Mm-hmm. That was a battle zone. But if provided you could make that balance, then it was a game changer. And, and PE became recognized in school, not as an academic subject, but as something that had a little more importance. Yeah. You weren't just a guy that ran the sports day. So yeah. just you were a guy that was getting qualifications for the school. Yeah. Uh, so, 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 Alan, sorry, Alan, yeah. sorry, no, sorry, sorry. No, we just see the your former principal teachers. Yeah. Did they, so was they saying core PE was a be-all and end-all? Was that as if like, it was all about well, activity? Ma- yes, getting yes. Fit, getting yes. kids fit? What, they, 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 saw, they saw standard grade PE. It was standard grade first before higher came in. They saw standard grade PE as a threat. They, right. they, they thought that when standard grade came in, that schools would do away with core PE. They, they were worried that core PE would go out the window. They would, and all, they would, all, you would, all you would, instead of seeing every kid in the school, you would only see your people who chose you. Right, okay. And that was, a, that was a misinterpretation of what they thought was going to happen. But my, my, all, all the guys, I mean, see these guys, I became a PE teacher because I love these guys to bits. Uh-huh. They had a sense of humor. They were great people. They made me want to be a PE teacher. But then all of a sudden, when it was time to move on, they weren't, they were, they, they weren't ready to let go. I had to leave them. I remember, and when I, when I, just before I got the job in James Hamilton, my principal teacher, I was in charge of, he allowed me to, to, to charge a programming and things, and I was leading him in towards a standard grade uh, delivery. Quite he hard was going? happy to let me do that because he was coming to the end of his career saying, listen, this, this is something I don't want to, to, to be involved in, but I'll back you in it. Right. That, that, that was a major change. That was when I was at Prescott Academy between 1974 and 1980. In, right. that, in that time slot, suddenly we went from a 4PE thing the standard grade PE and PE was starting to be recognised in the school as a much more important subject. Yeah, so like, like just now it's two two periods of core PE a week. Was it more than back then? Or was it like three or four or like before two. before standard? Uh, no, well, so it, was been... this one. it was two unless unless the timetable was trying to fill in some extra time with the non-certificate classes. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. You yep. could get four periods a week with third and fourth year who were not taking French or science. Right, so they get extra extra PE. You get an extra two periods with them. But you are not getting an extra any period with the scientists or the mathematicians or any of these people. Mm-hmm. Right, got you, got you. So I, I've been to. 
Yeah. I've got just a just a wee thing that I'm always kind of curious, yep. and I always have this kind of discussion with like friends that are PE teachers and yeah. that. Um, obviously, I'm still quite new to to my job as a as a PE teacher. I've only been out my probation year a couple of years. Yep. Um, but thinking back, how how long was it? I, I don't even know if this is even if you did feel like fully competent or. But how long do you think you felt before you were? fully competent within your role or do you think you well, ever achieve that or do you think you're always yeah, no trying? I've said this before see when you're a school when you're in a school we, we I've discussed this I, I think this is quite a good theory and I might not be right but I think it's close see when you arrive in a school and you and you and you've got a group of first years in there see when that group of first years become six year and they've had you for six years mm-hmm. you've arrived ah right mm-hmm. If you're dealing with new people that don't know you, you go in a school and third year and in, in the third year and above, they're used to everybody else's teaching methods and discipline. You haven't earned their respect yet. You haven't earned it for them. They're gonna, they're gonna, they're gonna be tough, tough act. They're a tough act to teach because they're used to other people. Yeah. But by the time you've been in in first year and you've taught this group in first year and then you've taught them in second year and you're now letting them into shape in third year, now you're in fourth year and they're gone. We've always we can how he works now. Aye. You know we know we know how to work him. And it, and, and it, it mm. becomes a kind of symbiotic relationship. Yeah. Yep. Whereas by the time they get to four, five, and six, you know them, they know you, and you feel really settled. Yeah. I know that 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 makes sense actually. Yeah. It must be. It's um. Can I like the? We we had lots of conversations about that. That's what I, I not. Nah, it's always, I think it's always an interesting one. It's like, yeah. sometimes I think people get loads of different experiences with like their placements, their probation year and all that mm-hmm. sort of stuff. And some people maybe feel like they take to it sooner than others, depending on the guidance they've had or maybe yeah. the school that they are, they're maybe working in. Um, so it's always an interesting one to, to chat about. But no, I like that wee theory that you've kind of put across yeah. there. No, I mean, you, 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 might, you might feel, maybe, maybe in five years in, you would maybe start to get that feeling. Yeah. I think four's a bit like if you're if you're in a school for four years, there's still a group of people in fifth and sixth year that don't really rate you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you've got to you've got to be you've got to be kind of you have a personal battle with them to win with them. That's what I'm at the now at four, I'd agree with you. Yeah. So I still don't know this. I had a, that well. I'm gonna tell you a quick story that we did, I know we hardly ever get seven courses, right? But in nineteen ninety eight uh, I don't know why I can't remember. I, I guess I can't remember how the Strathclyde region or 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 uh, I think it was Strathclyde region. And I got sent. I was chosen, and I got sent to a course. And it was in it was in the see the hotel beside the uh, uh, SECC Crown Plaza. Uh, yeah, Crown Plaza. I think it used to be called something else years ago, but it's now the Crown Plaza. We were sent there for a weekend, boys. And I'm not telling. I mean, we don't. Teachers don't get sent for weekends. I bet you haven't been any, right? No. We get sent. Yet. We get sent. We, we were there on the Friday night, and we got dinner, and we we attended course. It was called Coach Ninety Eight, and Frank Dick was speaking at this. Does that, that mean you mean mean any? You mm. guys know? No. Frank Dick. Frank Dick used to be the athletics coach years ago, seventies and the eighties. He would be the he would be the international coach for athletics, and he's a very knowledgeable guy. He was giving the kind of keynote speech, Frank Dick, and I didn't know him. And he, got, and he told this story about coaching and I thought it was great and it has stuck with me forever. He says, coaching is like grow, growing bamboo. In the first three years, nothing happens. And then seeing years four, five and six, it grows to six feet. Mm-hmm. Now, I thought that was a great analogy because you can coach somebody for... See, when I, got, when I started with a first-year team, that first-year team was not going to be worth the salt that it got to third year. Yeah. Unless you had some real, I mean, 
I was never in a school with big numbers. I always dealt with what I called average kids, average ability, and I had to train three times a week to make them as good as they could be. Mm -hmm. Occasionally, when I was at Prestwick, I got a couple of international players through. But that was because of these the other guys that I'm talking about are already going to football. They're already going to uh, other, other sports before basketball gets a shot at them. So it always took me three years. And see, after three years, we were beating the teams that were beating us in year one. Because, back to, back to Frank Beck's theory, growing bamboo, you've got to be prepared to see nothing much happening in three years. And then in year four, you got a wee bit of growth, and then five and six, all of a sudden you're six feet, six feet in bamboo. thought it was a great analogy. Aye, that is good. I'm going to steal that. I like that. Yeah, you steal that one. <laughs> Problem. <laughs> it's all fair game, boys. Oh, no, I see. You can't be a be analogy to help. Like it's, it's always yep. good. Can some some of them really resonate with you, but don't they? And then they. Yeah. Um. Right then. What is your thinking back to your coaching career? Then, what is the the sort of biggest challenges as a coach, and how how did you overcome them? Um. Challenges as a coach. Uh, I think. Uh, Place. I, I, I think some of the challenges for me in, in the main were play, see, player commitment, player commitment, uh, fundraising, and facility access. Mm-hmm. If, I, if I'm trying to cut it, I mean, there's obviously a lot more, but see, trying to get players committed. Uh, a lot, lots of young men that I was coaching were quite happy to train once a week and then come and play. I was not happy to do that. I wanted to train minimum twice a week. Or, or, or three if you can. Because if you train once a week, right, you don't get better. If you train twice a week, you stay you stay as you are. And if you train three times a week, you improve quickly. Mm-hmm. I couldn't get lots of kids to come along. When they were young, they would come three times a week. Then they would start to get paper jobs. Or they were at uni or whatever. And you could try to get somebody twice and three times a week. And see if you don't train three times a week, you're not going to get better. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it's the same in like running. Like we do a lot of running training. I think you need to get that consistency of three, four times a week, don't you? I definitely. So see running, see running and swimming and gymnastics. You're talking five. You yeah, better yeah. change that number. Because I'm, 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 I'm really talking a team sport. Aye, right, right. right. Aye. Individual, see individual sports, the athletics and swimming and gymnastics. That's got to be five days a week, or you're not getting better. Aye, that's you're... why it's harder in these areas, I think, sometimes. Aye, because I feel like if, say, you're just, uh, maybe you don't run at all and then you start picking up running, say you run one time a week or two times a week, you will start to see improvements, but very soon those improvements start to slow down. Aye, and then to get to get those marginal gains again, it is about training like five and six times a week to actually yeah. to, to keep it going. But how did you sort of to, to overcome those challenges and what was your, kinda, your ways around about that to keep that motivation, to keep that kind of... Um, those those players coming back and maybe if you had facility issues and things. A, 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 Scott, a Scottish basketball coach, uh, sorry, an American basketball coach. Well, I, I got a lot of experiences through them. That's another thing that influenced us a lot. I used to go to player camps in the summer, and the old basketball Scotland always brought over these really very successful uh, college basketball coaches, and they were great people, great motivators with great stories. Uh, and and, and I, I actually learned quite a lot from them, right, in that, in that context. And one of the things that he told me, I said, I, I was always asking about the, about the college game because the college basketball game is great to watch. And I said, listen, what makes a big difference in college game? And he said, and I said, is it, is it 50% training and, uh, and then maybe 30% in practice and, and 20% recruitment? And he said, Al, it's 95% recruitment. 
right? Uh, 2% in the game and 3% strategy. I was absolutely astounded. 95% recruitment. In other words, it's about who your players are. Yeah. Mm-hmm. If you've got that right, the rest just works. Mm-hmm. So one of the things that I tried to do, I tried to make sure that I was recruiting people who had a wee bit of smarts and who also I could motivate to come to me twice a week and do the hard drills. And the people who couldn't commit to that fell by the wayside and I recruited others who were prepared to. I think they were poorer players, I might add. I lost a, I lost a lot of under-16, under-18 footballers to football teams because they wouldn't commit to my regime. Mm-hmm. But I think I'll show uh, you and I just had to deal with that. Answers. And I've had to deal with that from my whole kind of coaching career. I was I always mean, losing to football and rugby, always. Yeah, football is such a big sport in Scotland, isn't it? Yeah, and it's perceived that. I mean, I, I've had people, I've had people who dad would never, whose fathers would never, or mothers would never miss their football game, but I never saw them come to watch the Sunday basketball ever. That's bizarre. I, think, isn't I don't know. I reckon, I reckon I must have coached quick, quick figure two and a half thousand young people to, to play basketball. Right? I can count, I can count, and seven, seven, seven sets of parents who actually came and watched their kids. Aye, is that it? Yep, yep. So they're just not, just not interested in basketball at all? That must have been... They weren't that interested in them, no. no. Just, they, they, they were going to watch them for football, and they were, going to watch them, they were going to watch them in the school band, and it's just, they, never, they, never, they didn't perceive basketball to be a you know, serious contender for, for keeping their kids out of trouble, or for, or, for, or for challenging them, or giving them good work habits. Yeah. Or, or, or what's good for basketball for me is, in, in many ways, is you meet like-minded people who become your friends for the rest of your life. Make your friends. That, that's that, that, basketball's done that for me. See, see, see. In terms of facilities, you mentioned that as a as one yeah. of the kind of challenges. Obviously, basketball's ideally done on a, a I wouldn't like a court inside. But what if like you, you were struggling to get a facility? Would you do like fitness as an alternative, or would you have like kind of outdoor areas and stuff? That... Well, no. I just had to go and find a place. Yeah, just you can pace. be as fit as you, you can. You can be as fit as you like. You can have five guys fucked up the floor. If you can't put the ball in the basket, you're losing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You can have five of the fittest guys in the world if they can't put the ball in the basket, they'll lose yeah. it. And mm-hmm. that's why a lot of my promotion was about skills development. Yeah. And I mentioned it before: decision making. Most everybody, when I used to go and play uh, other schools from uh, Aberdeen, Perth, these uh, they, they would always say, "Oh, what? Why are your players always good shooters?" Right. Uh, we, did, we didn't win every game because sometimes I did two or three big guys and a couple of international players, but all my team players could shoot the ball. Cumnock mm-hmm. was especially famous for it, right? They had all these guys around the court, so anybody, if, if, you didn't, if you didn't match somebody up properly, there was guys hitting shots everywhere, and it's because you practice shooting. Yeah, We practiced a lot of shooting, but I also, I was walking around, I can, I can spend 40 minutes in a two-hour session walking around correcting everybody's shot technique. And they've been playing with me for 10 years. Mm-hmm. But it's like golf. Aye. If your golf swing goes, you're gone. Aye, that's it's right. same with basketball. If your shot technique goes, it's coming off. So mm-hmm. therefore, I spend a lot of time. I taught them technique, but every session, I can make sure they weren't developing bad habits. See, see off the top of your head then, what's your top kind of key teaching points then for teaching like a set shot technique? Because I'm on basketball just now with a couple of my classes. I tend to stick to the beef principles, but I don't know if you think that's a lot of... Well, I, 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 I've, got a, I've got a video that I saw, and it's a really old video, it's quite shaky, right? 
And uh, one of the biggest things you've got to do is, is that you've got to get your shooting hand under the ball, right? Mm -hmm. And you've got to make sure that your elbow is directly under your hand. Now, this is hard because you have to pull your elbow in from your shoulder. You get that? Mm -hmm. Now, here's the, here's the thing about this. The elbow makes the shot go straight. If your elbow is in, the shot's going straight. Oh, so if your elbow's in line with the basket, you mean? Right in, yeah. You have to pull it in. Now, see if you're all trying to do that with it. That's not coming in because you're too stiff. If you're young doing that, so if you're taught this young, you've got it for good. Yeah, you've got the technique. Yep, exactly that. Yep. And the other thing, so the elbow makes the shot go straight. That's a good one. I like that. And then the other thing is about this whole load of things. The main thing is get the elbow under and the wrist back and then. If you have a high follow-through, that gives height on the ball. You need to get height on the ball. I used to say to the players, don't shoot into the basket. Imagine a two-foot bucket that sits on top of the basket. Yeah. And put the ball in the bucket at the top of the basket. To now you're shooting high, so it's dropping down. Right, yep. That's good. I like that. I always, a, love a wee, I'll, I always love a wee teaching send point. Send me your email. Send me an email. Send me your email, and I'll send you some stuff. Aye, brilliant. That would be great. No problem. Um, there we go. Looking for new ideas and wee tips. Teach, teaching online yeah. by Alan Turner here. I know. Yeah. Get, <laughs> that's brilliant. Um, right. Exactly. Something that a lot of them, especially today, I was like, they keep trying. It's almost like they're trying to chest pass the ball into the hoop. I'm like, no, it's like go through. I actually go through like the stance and everything like that. And I tended to tell them to keep the, the elbow underneath the wrist, but I didn't actually realise it was was as important because yeah, obviously the elbow. There's a, a, a young woman now who started playing basketball at Cumnock and there was no women's basketball at Cumnock when she started and I taught her how to do a jump shot and very very few women do a jump shot in basketball mm -hmm. and I taught this girl a jump shot and I've got to tell you it's a dynamic you've got to you've got to come you've no, you can't put your legs you can't put your legs into a shot so the jump shot's harder so the elbow definitely has to be right and the wrist has to be right everything has to be so right there and I remember teaching her to shoot uh, and, and she kept her, her elbow kept coming out to the side like this so what I did was Every time I was standing right in front of her, and when she, when she kept her elbow in, I let her shoot. And when she pulled her elbow out, hit her elbow. Ah, right. Now, the time you've done 20 shots, and I've hit you four of them, your elbow's in. <laughs> so if you don't use that corrective factor for shooting or whatever you're trying to do, then the I liken it to golf. How many people have got crazy golf wins? Mm -hmm. And then they have to go back to who tidies it all up. Well, a basketball coach has to constantly tidy shooting skills and other areas of basketball. Mm. Other coaches must be the same other sports. Must be. Aye, definitely. And do you think that's still the case at the top level, though? Like, with these... It must be. Like, at the, the top end of basketball coaching, like, with like the NBA and all that sort of stuff. Oh, yeah. Well, can I tell you, a lot of that, a lot of these fundamentals are covered in American college basketball, to be fair. See uh. American high school basketball and American college basketball. That's where it's really fixed, uh. right? But what will happen in the NBA, I've noticed this before, see the big NBA players, they're pulled aside to constantly work, almost individual. I mean, they're, they're, yes, they have to work as a team, they do 5v5, but there's guys who, there's big players who are coaching centre players, and these guys get pulled out to reinforce their footwork and reinforce their shooting action and reinforce that all these things are being reinforced all the time. Uh, it sounds as if there's a lot of fine-tuning to do with the technique well, in basketball. I, I, well, I, I'm, I'm, I'm a... I'm a skilled coach. I, 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 I'm, I'm, people say that I'm fanatical about it. If you haven't got a good, if you haven't got a good shot, you're kind of not getting on there long in my team. 
but I'll help you to get a better shot. And then mm-hmm. you'll get back on the court. There we go. Just like that. Yeah. I mean, I don't, I don't need more people of your poor skills. Yeah. What I, I do mm-hmm. is, I'll work better. with them to make their skills better. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right, so lastly then, Alan, just to kind of round us off, yep. the, main, the main section of the podcast, it would be good to get your thoughts on uh, what makes a high-quality teacher in the current climate, post-COVID. Well, oh gee, I, I, I'm going to I'm going to start with 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 just just what makes a good teacher, right? Yep. You know, I I got this quote from somebody. Uh, her name is Christine Blower. She used to be the general secretary of the National Union of Teachers, right? Right. And I read this years ago, and I've kept it with me because it keep it keeps me sane, right? Uh, but I think I think young teachers now in amongst COVID in particular this is probably even more important in a way because you've got so many difficult I, I can't I can't even dream about how young people in teaching are trying to teach uh, people sports when you can only work outside and you kind of come within 10 feet and it's just it doesn't make sense all you can do is keep things ticking over basically mm-hmm. but one of the things that she said was that a good quality teacher you need a profound sense of social justice an irrepressible sense of humour, sound knowledge, and an innate ability to be able to throw away the lesson plans and go with your instinct. Now, I think these three phrases fit any good teacher you know. And this is the quote I was talking about earlier. Yep. When you were talking about reflection. Yep. There's nowhere in that statement about you've got to be a good reflector. No. Because sometimes reflection, if you're no good at it or you're not trained in it, can actually cause you a wee mess. Yeah, because you're reflecting on mentally. something without the ability to correct in the reflection. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, quite, I thought that, but I mean, and, and see that last, but I mean, see the ability to, you've got to know when your lesson's not working. You can't just, I think this is a fault of a lot of students. I've, I've seen students and a lot of probationers, good ones, and that's right. But see a good probationer or a good student, right? They recognize this isn't working. It's something they've got written down, and there's, there's a lecturer watching them, guys, right? And they're thinking, I've got to teach this through the way I've written it down. Actually, no, you don't. You'll get bonus points if you actually notice it's not working. Mm-hmm. I need to adapt, adapt it. it and change it. Yep. No, good point. I, I think I, 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 a lot of people, that, that's the best way I, I can describe good teacher. Yeah, I think, I th- I think it's, uh, it's, a, it's a failure if you don't fix it, isn't it? Rather than yeah. seeing it as a failure to fix I mean, it. I, the, the people who taught me my PE, and one of the things that doesn't happen nowadays, you might be able to correct this, guys. I was taught PE in a primary school by a PE specialist who came to my primary school. He, he taught me gymnastics. I could do head sprints. And we were part of a school display. There was part of a display team on a, on a, on a stage when my mum and dad came to watch me. That would never have happened if a, if a, if a, if a professional te- a PE teacher was not in a primary school. And that's missing now. That yeah, is a not, big thing that's missing. And I was promoting it a lot. I think government and local authority, I don't know how they do it, but they need to get back to that. Because right. that's, that's where my journey started. And then I had PE teachers right through my secondary school. Bill Bailey, Jim Bernard, other people. And then lecturers at college who were displaying these very things that I've just said. Yeah. I, I identified my, my peers who had a profound sense of social justice. They, 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 they're, a, they're a sense of humour. They had knowledge and they knew when to branch off and do the things that matter. Yeah, yeah, spot on, Alan. We've actually been banging the drum about trying to get uh, PE teachers into primary since the start oh. of this podcast. Haven't we been speaking about it most episodes, Lewis? I, I think mean, we're going to start campaigning listen, for it. When, listen, I'm, I'm on in a week. 
Oh no, ask you need to send five PE teachers in there for every period. Just go in and one on a week. Aye, just to give them something. Would you want to... carry, carry some extra, carry some extra uh, staffing space in your secondary departments and right. send a teacher out to each primary school for a morning, yeah. for a year, and just go through all go through all the subjects. Uh, it used to be there was a project years ago in the seventies. It was called Daily PE Project, mm -hmm. and what happened was a teacher went from a secondary school out, and the and the, the, the primary teacher sat with them, and then the teacher left the the the, the the PE teacher left his lesson plan with the primary teacher who did that lesson, the same lesson, repeated the same lesson twice that week. And then he was out the next week with a different lesson. That's, yeah. a great, that's a great example of how to send a professional person into a primary. Primary school teachers are not trained for PE, not specifically yeah. anyway. No. Um, so therefore, they developed that. And I've got to say the, the, the PE teachers were always welcome into primary schools because they were unpacking knowledge. It was in service. Yeah. The best in service you could get. Uh, I know, like I, 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 I worked in a primary for a year, but I think we missed a trick because there was no, there was no primary teachers watching me, so I just took the yeah. class away from them. Yeah. They then yeah. freed up. Part, part of the daily PE project was if a primary seven, we tended to, this tended to go mainly six and seven, right? Uh, primary six and primary seven, uh, and for for the school to buy into it, the teacher had to sit and watch the lesson. Right. Right. So they're learning, observing. So, so they're watching and ask questions. And oh, actually, yeah. even when I was doing, see, primary teachers couldn't do gymnastics or didn't, didn't have the confidence to do gymnastics. I remember I had primary four kids doing headspins or a wee box top, and the primary teacher said to me, Oh, I could never do that. Yeah. You see, in three weeks, she had these kids doing headspins over a box mm -hmm. because I told her how to support, and it's in service. Uh, just yeah. a barrier teacher, because of safety. We can, we, can, we can teach one another all the time. Yeah, definitely. I, it's just we, we activities like gymnastics into it, it just puts the, the fear of God into some of the primary teachers. And I don't blame them. <laughs> Because yeah, no, see, your, see, see young boys in particular, these boys, uh, you let them loose in a trumpet and they are they are, they are mad, crazy. Aye. You've got you've got your positions in place. I can understand how, how it frames uh, a primary staff. And you've got to you've got to put um, you've got to put kind of parameters in place. I know that. Yeah. Absolutely. Oh well, that that rounds off the the main yep. body of the podcast really well for us, Alan. You summed that up really nicely with That's your great. no no problem um, in relation to what makes a, a high quality teacher. But we finish off each of our episodes with a quick fire round of three. Yep. So, just give me three three quick questions and answers just off the cuff. Right, you ready? Yep. Okay. If you could have a giant billboard anywhere, what would it say on it? Uh, teams win when the me becomes the we. Love it. Which people that are books? See, that one. That one, one. That's actually a Phil Jackson one. That's right. Phil Jackson of the Chicago Bulls. Amazing. Phil Jackson and Alan Turner. <laughs> <laughs> Which people or books have had the biggest influence on your life? Um, I, I'm not a big reader. Like most PE teachers, I'm a kind of active learner. Podcast. So I can hinted on it before. Um, uh, I, read, I once read a John Wooden book, who's a UCLE coach from 1960. I actually read it, and that was a very, that was a good grounding for me. Um, Ian Gordon, as I mentioned, he was my assistant. I learned a lot from Ian because of his uh, coaching experience with Murray International Metals. And there's an international coach, a Hungarian came, uh, and my latter teacher called Laszlo Nemeth. He was coached to the England team. See his, see his practices and strategies for decision-making in, in basketball. They are second to none. Mm -hmm. So obviously these three people uh, had huge influence in me. Brilliant. Number three then, final one. What advice would you give to a teacher or anybody in that case who's wanting to start coaching a basketball team? I would say go and work with a coach that you admire. 
be his assistant for at least three years and never miss a session and then take notes. Brilliant. That um, is <laughs> simple. I three yep. short, sharp pieces of advice that I think would stand anybody um, striving to be a coach in any sport would would put them in um, a good position going forward. But that um, brings us to the end of this episode. Clark, what episode are we on now? What was that? Oh, eighty-something. Eighty-three. Eighty-three. I saw that. I saw that in email. Thanks. Thanks. Uh, I, I a bunch for for coming <laughs> on and giving up your time tonight to chat to us, Alan. It's been great. No bother. Listen, and enjoyed. Alan, I enjoyed you putting me through my my my, my thoughtful processes. No, Alan, that was brilliant. Good to hear your your experiences over the years. It's been been a pleasure. Right. Here we are. We're, we're back at the take-out messages of this week's episode. Lewis, kick us off. Um, my key takeaway message, I'm just going to keep it kind of short and sharp, but I thought it was a really good point that Alan was speaking about, obviously, over his years of teaching and coaching basketball. Um, and it's something that I think would make my classes better at basketball and obviously help my teaching as well. But it was just some of the wee teaching points he alluded to when, when shooting. He says, he, he kind of compared it to the golf technique. He says, once your golf swings away, that's you. You need to go back to basics, tidy it up, and then get better at it again. He says he spends ages... Um, refining shooting techniques is if you don't get good shooters in your team then you're not going to score baskets or win games so I liked that how he, he spoke about the importance of having your hand underneath the ball and it's the elbow that makes the, the, the shot go straight so something that I've never I, I have paid attention to it but not as mm-hmm. much as he said obviously it is a lot more important than I previously thought it was so being able to keep that elbow poker straight in line with the in line with the basket so it's something that you could just constantly keep doing and, and work spend a lot of time on it maybe in warm-ups and right. um we can, of good pointers. we can do with the mind just constantly keep refining that technique because ultimately if you've if you've got good shooters on your team or if you make the, the pupils good at shooting they're going to get a lot of success. a lot of success at it I'm not saying that's the, the be-all and end-all of being a good basketball player but it's it's half of it isn't it because yeah well uh, my takeaway message links into that because it's not all about shooting. It's about, he was speaking off air about the four re fours that he was doing. So the person deepest who starts the attack would dribble forward and try and draw a player in. And then the other two um, would run off the ball at the side and there'd be an option at both sides. And then obviously the other player would be further up um, at the basket. But then, so that was kind of one one variation he spoke about. But the other one was um, two, two players stand right-hand side of the basket and left-hand side of the basket and stretch the game. So then the two two defenders from the other team would have to then mark them. If they don't, then it's a long pass mm-hmm. over the top. And then they're in for a shot of the basket, a free a free shot of the basket, shall we say. Um, but then if they did drop back onto them and it was a 2v2 up at the basket, then uh, they, they would dribble out, draw, the, draw a player in and then play it to the, the free player in the middle or, or on the side. Yeah, the I think he was getting that with... It. He says one of the, the main challenges, especially when teaching it to your, your classes, is their ability to, to dribble the ball up the court because that is too crowded. So if you're Absolutely. getting those players to, to stretch the game to either side of the basket and if the other players do drop back and mark them, then you've got yeah, time space. and space to actually practice dribbling in a game situation and get better at it. I know, and I've seen you teach and coach, and I know in your sessions it's all about time and touches. <laughs> a lot of it, what Andy Fleming spoke about. Time on ball. It's the same what Andy spoke about as well, it's transferable skills between these yeah. sports, not as a, a player, but also as a, a teacher. Mm. Like, yeah. All the same principles, isn't it? Aye, absolutely. 
Um, but no, definitely a, a lot of another. I, I love doing these episodes when you're speaking to specialists and that have got a lot of experience coaching within a particular sport because you can just get loads of great ideas to help you take your teaching to the next level when you're actually delivering that sport and make it obviously a wee bit more enjoyable for the right. So if there's anybody listening in that wants us to get other specialists on, let us know what sports you would like us to point in, mm-hmm. point uh, to point us in the right direction so we can try and secure them. Yeah, we've, but, had, we've, had, well, we've had we've had volleyball, hockey. Basketball, football, football, aye. No rugby. I've had no rugby. Chris Mulligan, if you're listening. Chris Mulligan or Stuart Hogg, if you're listening, we'll get you trying. <laughs> get, we'll try and get you on. Um, mm. What other sport would you like to go on this? You were saying it the other day. What was um, that? Well, we've had running as well. Actually, we've had like kind of golf. No, yeah, golf. What about a good a good athletics one? That could be one for to to kind of scope out. Look at some different track and field events. Nicodemus. He was on as well. Spoke yeah. a bit about that. Uh, maybe in the summer term, we'll look into some athletic stuff. Mm-hmm. What about striking and fielding? We get any rounders gurus out there? <laughs> you're speaking to one now. <clears throat> <laughs> you're, a, you're a good fielder. You can't hit the ball to save your life. <laughs> I couldn't. Can, uh, before I got my eyes done, I was horrendous at hitting the ball, but I got my laser surgery. So <laughs> I've no you had to use a, what was it? You had to use a. a like a an XXXL tennis racket. <laughs> that was an XXL ball, so I could have it. <laughs> Balloon. No, I used to play the rounders with volleyballs. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I think we're just getting silly now. <laughs> right, I'll do it then. Thanks again for listening in to another episode of We Bit of Everything. Uh, we're on episode 83, I think. We've had a lot of cancellations, so it might not be 83, but <laughs> no, <it's laughs> we're nearly there. Nearly <laughs> there, bits. <laughs> right, see you later. Thanks again for joining us in this week's episode of the podcast. We hope you've been able to take something away that you can implement into your practice or life. If you regularly listen to the podcast, then why not leave us a review to let us know how we're doing and where we can perhaps improve. That way we can take action and further develop the Obo podcast. Until next time, we hope you have a fantastic week. Take care.